0: Welcome to The Delivery Diaries with Vanessa Nag. This is a podcast about how families were started. Join us as we hear parents tell us their stories of how their children were delivered, whether that's through birth stories or adoption stories. Listen in as we laugh together, cry together, and learn together. This week, my sister and brother-in-law, Nadine Rusty, share the birth of their four children. We start out this episode laughing and joking, but they lost their twins and suffered a stillbirth. So if you're not in the right headspace to listen to this episode, please skip it and come back when you're ready. They share their journey through the pregnancy, birth, and their grieving process. Natalie and Rusty also tell us about the pregnancies and births of their two daughters following their difficult loss. Hey, Natalie. Hi. So today we're going to be talking to Natalie and Rusty Simpson. And Natalie's my sister and obviously Rusty is my brother in law. Hey, how are you? <laughs> 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 you, to so
1: oh <laughs> you look at me and
2: say, say something. <laughs> I don't um, hold like can hold your hand. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs>
1: Hey, how are you? <laughs> oh, my God. She looked at me like, I'm like, Oh, my gosh."
0: Okay. It's going to take
1: forever.
0: You want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your family?
1: Yeah. Um, so, my name is Natalie, and my husband is Rusty. And we have now been married for eight years. And we now have two little girls. One is three years old, and her name is Sayla. And the other is six months old, and her name is Havana.
0: So do you want to start us off and tell us about when you found out you're pregnant with your first pregnancy?
1: Sure. Um, So my first pregnancy started in 2014. And in August, I found out that I was pregnant, and Rusty was actually still sleeping. It was super early in the morning, and I had an appointment um, at the dentist. And so, I contained myself and actually didn't wake him up and tell him. I wanted to tell him in a special way. I think those first pregnancies for for women are super exciting, and you kind of want that special announcement. So I waited. And, um, I, my dentist appointment, my dental hygienist is actually one of my good friends. So, um, when I had my appointment, I, I couldn't keep it in. And I actually told her before I told my own husband, but, um, I had to tell somebody I was about to burst. So, um, that morning after the appointment, I had a newborn photo session at my house. And so, I don't even
0: because you're, you I, were a photographer.
1: I was a photographer back then. Yeah. Before kids, um, I did photography full time. And, um, so I was in the middle of the newborn session and kind of realized like, I am not even paying attention to what I'm doing. I couldn't focus and I just wanted to tell Rusty. I wanted him to come home on his break. I had uh printed out on a piece of paper and like decorated it. I put uh, "Enjoy this bottle of wine" because I won't be able to for the next nine months. And so I put that on a wine bottle. And when he got home, it was sitting on the counter. And so that's why I told him it was super exciting. And um, you know, when when you see the pregnancy tests and when you tell your husband, and when you you know tell the news to family, you start imagining your life as a parent. And um, what, you know, all the things that are going to change in your house, all the ways that your life is going to change. And so that is what we did. We started planning for a baby. And, um, and then we did the blood test to find out the gender. Um, cause at that time it was rather new. Um, I think it, people were only doing that for a few years. And so, uh, we found out that we were having a boy, Um, And that was in October that we found that out. And at the time, I believe I was 12 or 13 weeks pregnant. We hadn't had an actual lengthy sonogram where they check everything. The only time we had done a sonogram was um, just to hear the heartbeat because for some reason, one day on the Doppler at our, uh, one of our appointments, they couldn't hear it. So we just kind of randomly did a sonogram and... The, um, whoever was in there, I think, I don't even think she was a a tech that was, I think she was like a nurse and she just needed to hear the heartbeat. And she did at that time. She had just printed us out a picture and she didn't really give it a second look. Um, and so, um, we had this little picture and we announced on social media that we were having a little boy and we're super excited. and, um, it, I was 12 weeks at that time. And then at 15 weeks, I went into a, um, a pregnancy spa and this is kind of something that they have for women expecting. You can get a sonogram like it's a just for fun sonogram. There's nothing, um, there's no doctor there. It's just to show friends and family your your baby in a comfortable atmosphere. So we went in and I was with my stepmom and my dad and we were all super excited. There's this little sonogram room that has a comfortable couch that they were sitting on. The um sonographer is going over my belly and casually just talking and she said has anyone told you that you're having twins and i laughed i mean it, i thought it was a joke and i laughed and i was like yeah nope and um she goes okay um and i don't think that she is able to say much so she kind of got really quiet and she said well i'm seeing that there are two babies in here but i'm only finding one heartbeat And so I just, I kind of, I I don't, I was in shock. I didn't really understand what was being said. I don't think I comprehended it. And um, she goes, I think you need to call your doctor. And so um, I did. And our doctor is actually a family friend. Um, And so I called him, called my husband and told my husband, you are having twins, and so the um, the doctor got us in, and it was their lunch break. But he managed to get us in for a sonogram, and I met my husband Rusty up there, and my dad and stepmom Claudia were still with us, so they went um, with us to the doctor, and um, same thing there. They couldn't find Twin B's heartbeat, and in my mind, I kept thinking, okay, you well, can't find it. Look harder. I don't know what I was really thinking. It didn't, um, register that something could be wrong. I just kept thinking that they needed to search harder that maybe when you have twins, it's harder to find another heartbeat just because there's another body in there. So, um, our doctor was out of town. and So he was, um, we were texting back and forth with him. And so another doctor came in and spoke with us and he had said we were unable to find twin B's heart heartbeat. And so again, it was said just like that. So I was kind of maybe in denial. I don't, I was registering still that I had two babies in me. So we kind of stumble out of the doctor's office and my husband's checking out and I'm with my dad and my stepmom and we walk out into the parking lot and I, I, that's when I kind of had a rush of emotions that all hit me. Like I had two babies. Now I have one, what just happened? It all happened super fast. So we, we kind of gather our thoughts. I sat in the parking lot in my dad's arms and just cried and we went home and we kind of had to like put things into perspective, like, okay, there's still so much hope. Like we have another baby that we need to focus on. Like I can't get too upset. I'm pregnant. You know, I have to take care of the baby that's still thriving. And so, um, we did mourn, um, twin B that night and we decided to call him angel because, um, we hadn't, we hadn't had a name. And at that time he was our angel. So, We named him angel at that time. And, um, and our doctor had told us that he wanted us to go see a specialist in Dallas. And so the following morning we go and we have an appointment with a specialist. That appointment was a rude awakening. We thought everything was going great. We had no idea that there was anything wrong in the pregnancy. We thought that, um, it was just kind of a fluke thing that, um, twin B have passed. But when they did the sonogram, they realized that twin A, which we had um, weeks prior named Slater, we had um, realized that twin A had a an enlarged bladder. So basically he was not releasing urine. Uh, babies in the womb, they will swallow amniotic fluid and they release it And he wasn't doing that. So there was an obstruction in his uh, bladder that wasn't allowing him to release it. So we were told that it was going to be a very difficult pregnancy and that he might not survive. And so that was, again, one of those like moments where you don't really can't your emotions, your brain, your heart can't catch up to what's being said to you with the facts that are in front of you. So, uh, we ended up leaving and Rusty told all of our family. I couldn't really, I didn't even want to be on my phone. I didn't want to, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I kind of felt helpless. You have this body that's supposed to take care of your baby and that's supposed to be the safest place for your baby. And I felt like mine was kind of failing. Um, and so I just kind of, Needed time alone with God, and uh, so Rusty handled um, all the news to to our family. Following that appointment, we had weekly appointments with a specialist, and so after each appointment, it was kind of oh, like a dagger that just kept going deeper and deeper and being twisted um, each time we met with the specialist. But he was amazing at telling us the bad news. It was just the bad news alone was kind of heart wrenching. So, um, we learned after each appointment that there was like a new diagnosis or a new problem obstacle that we had to face. And, and so, um, you know, the first time it was the bladder, then the second time they saw a white spot that could be cystic fibrosis. And then the next appointment there was oh, no lung, no lung buds. Um, and then the next appointment, so there was appointment after appointment, there was like a new, a new reason to, um, to just want to give up hope, but we didn't, we had, um, family and friends rally behind us. And, uh, we prayed a whole lot. I think it was the beginning of November. We were told to pretty much wait for his demise. Like he would have 10 to 14
0: days. And how many weeks were you at at this point?
1: I was 18 weeks and, um, I'll never forget. He, before leaving, he had said, your baby is hanging on by a string and won't make it. Um, so that was a super, super dark day, but, um, he told us to wait for his demise. I'll never forget the word demise. It was, it was super Strange hearing that, but we had to um, monitor Slater's heart with a fetal Doppler, and um, whenever the heart rate got to a certain point, when it got low enough, we were to go in and deliver. That was super hard. Each day we we would use the Doppler. Rusty would he would rub it on me, and um, I would just kind of wait and see if. That was the day that my baby would, you know, pass. Um, So at 18 weeks, I remember we were given the option to terminate and we were like, not, not even remotely. Are we going to do that? Um, It was a hard pass. And, um, and the thing was too, for me, I wanted to continue feeling him move in my belly. I wanted to continue to have that bonding with him. And I felt like if I was to terminate the pregnancy because someone told me that he wasn't going to live outside of my womb, I would be cutting off my time with my son. And so, um, we said no to that. Um, but it was a hard, hard holiday season. I mean, he surpassed a lot of odds. He was not supposed to make it past Thanksgiving. And he made it past Thanksgiving. He made it past Christmas and he made it past new year's. And so he defeated a lot of odds there, but it was a hard holiday season. All my, um, close friends, well, two of my close friends and two of my sisters were pregnant and we were all due, um, months apart. Vanessa, you were one of them. Um, which was, um, you know, not easy for on on any end. It wasn't easy. Um, you know, you're excited for a healthy sonogram, excited that you're having a boy. And, you know, it's like, how do you bring that news to our family group text without knowing that it could be, you know, hard for me to hear. So it was just a really hard time being with family and being with friends and everyone being due at the same time and not really being able to, um, celebrate like we all wanted to, but, um we still had a lot of hope. Like we believe in the power of prayer. And we thought, you know, like if it was God's will that he would heal Slater and that he would be born healthy. But uh, we also knew that that may not be God's will. Um, and so we had to come to terms with that. Um, but, um, after new year's on January 6th, we had another appointment with the specialist and, um, We hadn't seen him in a few months because we were, the last time we had seen him was when we were told to basically wait for his demise. Um, And so we were super encouraged to be going to that appointment. But what we learned there was that um, we, well, my, my stomach was super enlarged, looked a lot bigger than having a 26 week old baby in there. And so um, what we had learned at that appointment was that I had twin reverse arterial perfusion, which is super rare. It happens in 1% of monochorionic twin pregnancies. So what that means is that Angel um, was getting the fluid and I guess some of the nutrients that Slater was supposed to be getting. And what that was doing was making Angel grow and grow and grow, even though he had passed away. So um, he, they were guessing that he was the size of an eighteen-week-old baby, and so that probably is why my stomach was looking like I was still carrying twins. And uh, so we went to get an MRI done so that they can get an in-depth look at Slater and what was going on with his body um, because there wasn't a lot of room in my belly that, you know, angel was taking up a lot of space in there. So what they found on the MRI was that Slater did not really even have any lung buds. So what that means is that when he would be born, there is nothing that would help him breathe outside of the womb. Um, so that was super difficult to hear and then they also t- also told us that, um, that his body was being crammed pretty much because Angel's growth was so rapid. And so he was so big, it was putting a lot of pressure on Slater's bones. And so when they showed us the MRI, it was super hard to look at. His bones were being kind of curved. And so you can just imagine like you're carrying this baby in your belly and you're knowing that he is hurting and that his bones are being pretty much bent. Um, it just was, um, not an easy thing to hear. And so we talked to our doctor that evening and he told us that with the rising fluid and angel, it was very dangerous for me and, um, very dangerous for my uterus, uh, future children. And then, um, in the event that anything, a miracle was to happen with Slater, um, it would be dangerous for him as well. So, um, he, we had to go to the hospital the next day to deliver. And, um, I was 26 weeks at that time. And so I knew that with the information that I had the day before with the MRI and Slater's lung buds, that the chances of him surviving was pretty much none. And so that following day we woke up I don't even know how we packed a hospital bag. I mean, we weren't, we weren't ready. And we didn't really know how to prepare. How do you prepare a hospital bag without the baby stuff, without the, um, you know, the boppy and everything that you need when you're going to the hospital to have a baby. So we did, we packed it and um, made our way to the hospital on January 9th. When we were there, our doctor had asked us if we wanted to do a C-section or, um, regular delivery. And at the time it was just a quick answer. I just said, let's do a C-section. I don't, I don't want this to be like a long process. So they go and they start getting everybody ready. Um, and then one of the, um, surgery team nurses, uh, she came in and she is actually, Um, an old friend from years and years and years ago, and she, she lost her baby, um, had a stillborn years ago, and I had already known that. And so she came in and gave me a hug, and I just cried at the sight of her just because I think that was just a divine appointment that she was there. And, and after talking with her, I decided, you know what? I do not want to do a C section. I want to experience this with Slater. I want to have a regular, I want to push. I want to just have more time with them. And that's kind of the way I saw it. I didn't want it to be over very quickly. Um, so we did, we had induced the labor and, um, at the time, again, I was only 26 weeks. So it, it took a while. Um, 24 hours came and went and the following morning I was ready to go. I was at a seven, which was okay because the babies were so small. Um, angel was estimated 18 week in size and Slater was 26 weeks. So seven centimeters was, um, all I needed to be dilated. So, um, I pushed for 15 minutes with Slater and he came out at five fifty five AM and, um, I continued pushing to get angel out. uh, But we did not anticipate it to be as difficult as it was. It was um, because there was so much fluid in him and there was no, nothing really sturdy in him. You know, we lost him at 12 weeks. Well, it was 15 weeks, but they had um, said that he was uh, probably 12 weeks when he passed in the womb. So I pushed for two hours with Angel, and um, it was just a lot of tissue. It was very difficult for the doctor. After two hours, he started talking about doing a C-section. He didn't want anything to be left in me following the birth, and so um, people started scrambling for a C-section. And he just kind of kept working on it as people, as nurses, you know, chaotically ran around him and, um, finally I continued to push. Finally. Um, I saw my doctor's eyes get really big and out came angel. And, uh, he, I can't really explain, uh, what he looked like. It was, it was not like a baby, but then at the same time, you could totally see his face. So it was really special to see him, um, even though it was under those circumstances, I just, I'll never forget it. It's your baby, you know, no matter what he or she looks like, it was, um, he was just too perfect, too perfect for earth. So everything kind of calmed down after that. It was really, really chaotic. I felt like it was chaotic and there was a lot of stuff being thrown around. And, um, and then once angel came out, it just like calmed down. Um, and our doctor told us that Angel was the size of a full-term baby as far as the fluid goes. I mean, he, he didn't have bones. He didn't have bone structure. He didn't, but the size of him was that of a full-term baby. So that's probably why it was difficult to um, get him out because I was only seven centimeters dilated and and he was, he was pretty large. So um, I wanted to see Slater, as soon as everybody left the room, I demanded that Rusty bring the cart over. I wanted to see him and um so I looked at him and he was insanely perfect. I mean he had the perfect little nose. He just he was he was looked like a perfect baby. It was not what I expected. And um so I held him and the nurse would before they had left, the nurse said she was gonna come back and clean him up and I you know, I didn't realize that he needed to be cleaned up. He was just perfect. And so she came back and cleaned him up and gave him back to us. And, um, I think that's when it hit rusty that we were losing him just because, you know, it was kind of like an out of sight, out of mind thing. And then seeing him was, was hard. And, um, holding our baby in our, our, lifeless baby in our arms. That was, um, surreal. Um, I don't know really how to put it into words, but I kind of, in my mind, it sounds ridiculous, but I kind of looked at him and I, with tears like falling on him, I kind of like thought to myself, it's like a Disney movie where if my tear like hits him, it'll, it'll wake up or if I kiss him or, you know, can he, Feel all of this, um, you know, but I know that some people don't like, you know, if they deliver a stillborn baby, they don't want to see the baby, or you know, like, but for us, this was a super, it was just super special. And we got to have our friends, and well, we didn't do any friends, but we got to have our family come in and meet Slater. and hold him. And, um, so that was really nice. And we spent a lot of time with him. I honestly, time was not even, I I don't even know how long we got with him, but I felt like it was the perfect amount of time. Uh, but then the time did come where we had to give him back to the nurses and that was uh, super hard. I kind of didn't want to, but I mean, I, uh, I knew that they had to do tests on him to find out what happened and we wanted answers. And, um, and I was okay with, with them doing tests and stuff just so that we knew for the next pregnancies that this may not happen again, or if it was to happen again, how we could prevent it. And so, um, we kissed him and looked at him and prayed over him and, handed them back to the nurses. Um, and that's obviously, even when you're going through the process of praying for your sick baby, that's not something that you anticipate having to give your baby back. You there's, there's no preparing for that. So they take us to, um, the postpartum rooms and it was like, tucked away in a corner. You could definitely tell that they didn't want us to be next to people who were having, you know, healthy babies and crying babies. And, um, so we were in this like corner room that was, um, tucked away and it was different, um, you know, going through recovery and, you know, just, um, I still had a swollen belly and I would kind of just rub it and just want to feel Slater kick. And, um, I would want to feel a baby in there, but it was gone. So he felt like a healthy baby. When he was in my belly, he felt like a healthy baby. He kicked like a healthy baby. Um, his heart, you know, was super strong. Obviously we never had a hiccup with the fetal Doppler. Like he, it was, if I didn't, know everything from the specialist or if I didn't go to the doctor, I would have no idea that it was a troublesome pregnancy or that he was sick or that he was fighting for his life in my womb. I would have had no idea because it felt normal. It felt there was no pain, there was no nothing. Um so yeah, he I I felt a sense of absence when he was not in my belly. And I, you know, if if anyone's ever been pregnant, someone's with you all the time. You're, you know, when you're alone, you're, you got a baby in you, like you feel someone else's presence. And so, um, I'll never forget. I went to sleep with a super swollen belly that night. And then I woke up in the middle of the night to use the restroom. And I went and I walked in the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and my stomach was flat And I like just fell to the floor and started crying just because it was a visual, it was just a visual slap in the face is how I felt at the time. It was, um, there was no baby. There was no sign of a baby. If I was to be leaving the hospital that minute and walking down the street, no one would have known that Slater was in my stomach 24 hours prior. And so that was so, you know, we stayed in recovery not too long. I think our doctor, as I said, he was, and still is a very close family friend. I think he understood that we didn't want to be there long. So, um, we, uh, left the hospital probably a day later and came home to an empty house and even Even though we knew that Slater was fighting for his life, we were putting full hope in him being okay. And so, you know, a part of my, you know, maybe it was a defense mechanism. Maybe it was just me being in like maternal mode. I don't really know. I still wanted to do a nursery. So we started a nursery. We didn't finish it, but I wanted to do a nursery for him because I felt like if I didn't, that was me. Saying, like, I don't I don't think he's gonna make it. Like, my this is, you know, not this is a pointless pregnancy. Um, so I still did a nursery and it wasn't finished by any means, but it was still a crib and um, you know, his name was above the crib. So it was hard to come home to an empty house because we were still expected to bring him home. That's what we were hoping for. But the days following were difficult as well. I mean, you're still mourning. I was physically healing and we wanted to do something special. We, we didn't want to do a funeral by any means, but we wanted to do a memorial. We wanted, um, to remember, to remember him and Angel. So we did something with just our family and it was super special. We, um, Rusty spoke, um, to honor Slater and Angel and, It was a good memorial. I mean, we didn't want to act like it didn't happen. We didn't want to be like, okay, let's keep trying. Like it was, we, during the pregnancy and during our fight for him, there was so much uh, bonding in that. And there was so much of a relationship between us and Slater as he was fighting for his life. And even, you know, people who, didn't know him, but knew of our story, you know, there was, there was a big fight for, for him. And so, um, so we definitely wanted to honor his life and what he meant to us. And, you know, because of him, I feel like my relationship with Christ grew so much stronger and, you know, he just was to to me and Rusty both the reason for so much of who we are now. So, uh, So we did, we had a beautiful memorial and, um, and we knew that we wanted to try to have more children, but we also knew that we needed to wait to see what the testing came back. You know, we wanted to make sure that this wouldn't happen again. We didn't want to get pregnant and, and have a a baby be fighting for his or her life. So, um, we waited to see what the results were and it was just A genetic abnormality. It just was a fluke thing that, um, typically, um, when, when something like that happens, you miscarry at six, seven, eight weeks. Um, but I feel like Slater was just a super fat. He was a fighter and he was put on this earth to teach us more than And we can even fathom. And we waited for the okay from our doctor to, um, start trying again. I think he also wanted us to be not just physically ready to start trying, but also emotionally and mentally prepared to carry another baby. Um, and we were told to wait six months. So we were like, okay, great. Um, we got pregnant after four months and I'll never forget telling Rusty. It was um, very, very He was super happy, but at the same time he was kind of like shocked. And, you know, when you lose a, a child, whether it's miscarriage or stillbirth, or, you know, even if you, you lose a baby after, um, you know, they have been on this earth for a long time, I think you kind of feel guilty when you're excited about another child. You feel like, well, am I replacing them? Um, so there it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard place to navigate just because you want to be excited, but at the same time you you don't want to replace anybody. So, um, we had to kind of, Learn how to be excited but still love and honor Slater and Angel. And, um, you know, the pregnancy I think was it was considered high risk because of the previous pregnancy. So, thankfully, I wasn't upset about this. I got to see my new baby on the sonogram like every two or three weeks. So, um, that gave a lot of peace of mind to me. Um, knowing that the baby was growing well. Uh, We eventually found out the gender through the blood test. And um, we also did um, some in-depth tests to uh, make sure that everything was okay. Um, But we found out that we were having a girl, which was super exciting. So during my pregnancy with Slater and Angel, I listened to the song called I will carry you by Sayla, And it was pretty much my fight song throughout the pregnancy. And um, it's about being pregnant and continuing um, the fight for your baby. That's in your womb. The uh, one of the band members of Selah, uh went through a very similar situation that we went through his wife um, was pregnant and they found out that Audrey, their baby girl in her belly, um, was sick and would be fighting for her life, but they chose to continue to pray for her and carry her. And she was, uh, born still. And so it was just a very similar situation. And, um, I ended up reading the book of the wife of the mother, of Audrey and um, her name's Angie Smith. It's an amazing book and if anyone is ever going through something similar to our story, I really suggest that book. Um, it kind of was able it helped me put my thoughts into words because I have a hard time understanding my own thoughts or describing my own thoughts or navigating them. And so I feel like that that book really helped me. So um, anyways, because of that song, when I would listen to it, I, you know, when you're listening to a song in your car, the band name or the um, singer's name is always on your screen. And so I remember reading um, Selah and I know it's also in the Bible, it's in Psalms. And, um, I remember thinking to myself, okay, well, that's a, that's a cool name. Like if we ever have a girl going a name, name her Selah. And so when we found out that we had a girl, it was a quick decision that we were going to name her Selah, um, but we ended up spelling it a little different, but um, that is where the name came from. And it was super special. It w- had to do with our, with our, you know, journey with Slater and Angel. So um, we thought it was, it was a really special, had a special meaning and a special place in our heart. So um, the pregnancy with Say- Selah was smooth, as smooth as can be. I mean, I physically felt great. Um aw- oddly, I emotionally and mentally felt great. I think that was just the grace of God. I think that I had this like hedge of protection around me because I don't know how I managed to not have anxiety attacks. I mean, you, that was pretty soon after my Slater and angel pregnancy, but it was, it was really smooth. And we induced uh, labor at 39 weeks. I don't know why? But I was always scared to go 40 weeks. I, that may be the only hiccup that I had as far as anxiety or as far as being afraid of something going wrong, I, maybe a little bit of trauma, but, um, so I wanted to induce at 39 weeks. And so we did. And, um, everything was by the book. I mean, it was great. Um, I love, I, I mean, I love pushing out babies as weird as that sounds. Um, even after the boys, like the physical part of it and the connection that, that you get from it. I just, I loved it. And, um, even though I couldn't take my two first babies home, I feel like pushing them out and experiencing that with them, like was just a bonding thing. And so doing that with say was very, um, special too. And, um, I couldn't wait to, push her out and hear her cry. I mean, that was, I voiced that many times. I told people like, I can't wait to hear her cry. And so we're, we, I say we're pushing, like everyone's <laughs> pushing with me. Nope. It was just me. Um, I was pushing and out she came and it was silent. There was, I mean, you could have heard a pin drop and, um, you know, I still had the same doctor. And so he's kind of Talking and trying to, like, you know, make sure that no one freaks out. Um, and so, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, give me my baby. Like, let me hug her. Let me love on her. And nurses, like, grab her and they start rubbing her. And Tom's like, you know, Tom's our doctor. <laughs> Tom's like, um, she's stunned. She's okay. She's just a little stunned. And I'm thinking in my head, like, she's stunned. Is that like a term? Is that. Is, is she, she startled is what? And so, um, again, it was a really, there was a peace over me. I didn't freak out. I didn't. And it's probably one of those moments. Like I had, you know, previous times before that, where you kind of, your mind isn't, it's like, you can't play catch up with what's happening in front of you. And, um, so she was stunned and she was pretty like, pale. She wasn't pink. You know, babies come out, they're pink, they're crying. She was not. And so the doctors are working on her. Um, some NICU nurses ended up coming in. They were about to take her to the NICU if she did not breathe on her own, uh, after 15 minutes. So, I mean, it was literally, I think it was like 14 minutes and 20 seconds or something. And she started to whimper and started to get out some little cries. And, um, they started seeing, the blood flow they were massaging her they were rubbing her back they were i mean they were awesome nurses and and she started crying and um they finally were able to put her in my arms and and so i was holding my baby my my little girl was in my arms and i was going to get to take her home and so um we stayed at the hospital. And I mean, it was a completely different experience, obviously. I mean, there was, it was just the day wasn't gloomy. The sun was shining. Everything was so different. Um, obviously. And, um, we loaded her up. I'll never forget. Uh, we get her in the car and in my car, I had a picture of me being pregnant with Slater and Angel. And it was a little, we were holding a piece of paper that said praying for Slater because we had already known that angel had passed. So that was in the car and I was sitting in the back seat with Sayla And as we're driving home, I'm looking at that picture in the front and also like looking at the road, like we're going home, we're going home with our baby. It was indescribable. And, um, she is everything you would hope your baby. I mean, she, since she was a baby, she, I mean, she didn't want to sleep. She was so happy. She'd be awake, smiling, ready to go. Like she was a ray of sunshine. And, um, now she's a little spicy, but you know, every three-year-old little girl is, but, um, she was just everything we needed at that time. So it was such a gift. Lo and behold, three years later, we, um, start trying again I ended up having a chemical pregnancy, uh, which, you know, I mean, it's still earth shattering. I mean, you see a pregnancy stick that says positive, you start planning and, you know, it, you kind of tell yourself like, okay, you know, things can go wrong, but at the same time, I, I you get excited, you start planning, you, you know, even if you know for five hours that you're pregnant. Um, but we did, it was 24 hours. We thought we were pregnant. And then I took another test and saw that the line was getting fainter and fainter. And so, um, we realized it was definitely a chemical pregnancy. And, um, so we were, you know, going to keep trying. And a month later, we found out that we were pregnant. So the pregnancy was was great. We found out that we were having another girl, and for some reason, this pregnancy was a little different as far as my anxiety. I felt felt like more scared of what could happen for some reason. I don't know if it if it was just because, of, you know, with my pregnancy with Sayla, I could have very well still been been in shock. I really don't know, or you know, I think that maybe I had I was you know, a little bit stronger than, I don't know, but my pregnancy with Havana was good. And the third trimester was pretty trying as far as, um, you know, physically, but I, I had a hard time even discussing the physical strain only because when I was pregnant with Slater and Angel and I would hear people complain about their pregnancy or even afterwards, if I would hear people complain about their pregnancy or complain about their babies, I kind of would roll my eyes and well, not really roll in my mind. I would roll my eyes because it was hard to hear people complain when they were having a healthy pregnancy, so to speak, or if they were, you know, had a healthy baby or So I didn't really want to complain and I didn't, I had a hard time. I had a hard time having a hard third trimester because I didn't, I didn't want to be negative because I know what it's like to really be in a negative space or, you know, a negative place when, um, when you're pregnant. So I didn't sleep. I think the whole third trimester, um, it it was almost like restless leg syndrome, but it was more like restless mind syndrome. My mind didn't turn off. I would lie in bed and just, (laughs) I would cry because I couldn't turn my mind off. And it was just really frustrating because I was sleepy, but I wasn't tired, but I I tried not to complain. And I don't even want to make it a thing during this podcast. It was, it was still a good pregnancy. She was healthy and, um, she was growing she was actually really big. You know, they said that she was she was growing like two weeks um ahead of schedule. And you know, Sayla, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but she was five pounds 13 ounces. So she was a tiny little thing. And um then I had this big old baby growing inside of me. So it was super encouraging, healthy baby. So um I induced again at 39 weeks, and she was born seven pounds, six ounces. And she was actually stunned as well, which is the craziest thing. Because I, again, before having her, I said, all I want to do is hear a baby cry. I want to push a baby out and hear them cry. And so I was like, you know, what are the odds that this baby's not going to be crying? You know, super slim. So she comes out, And she was stunned as well, but it was, um, only for not even a minute, but she is now six months old and she's happy. She's healthy. She's sweet. And so we're just super, super blessed with two healthy girls. And, um, we just know that, you know, we all already tell Selah about her brothers. We, um, they are talked about each night during our prayer. And, um, we will always talk about them. We will never feel uncomfortable around anyone discussing them. We want to honor them and, um, they are part of our family. They always will be. So Sayla knows that she has two brothers in heaven and Havana will also know that. So, um, yeah, our story isn't one that I would want anyone to experience, but I think because that because we went through this, it has changed our lives completely. It's changed our relationship with Christ. It's changed our relationship with our kids. Now it is, um, changed how we help others grieve, even though they might not be grieving children or whatever it may be. I feel like it's helped us, um, just understand other people going through something difficult. I don't know. Um, I, again, I wouldn't, wouldn't ask for this, you know, but I couldn't imagine our lives any different at this point. But if someone told me that back then, like, Oh, Oh, God has a plan. Don't worry. Like, you know, it was, it was very hard to hear that. So, you know, if you know anyone that's going through, don't, don't try to say all those things, all the cliche Christian things to say, just listen and be there. Um, because you know, hearing that isn't, it's not helpful, (laughs) but, um, But I will say now that we've been through what we've been through. And now that we have Selah and Havana, we couldn't imagine our lives without all four of them. You know, I I don't think that our two girls are are a replacement of Slater and Angel. But I think that they're just an addition to our family. And, um, you know, we're super, super blessed
0: even have gone through all that. If you wanted to give anybody words of wisdom, what would you say to somebody?
1: I would say, and you know, I mean, I don't know everyone's beliefs, but I would say that for me, the only way I got through that was with God, um, leaning on Him and 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 the people that He has blessed me with. Um, that's just me personally, and I found so much strength through scripture and a lot, like I love worship music. And so a lot of my um, time alone with God, I was worshiping and I feel like worshiping helped me not sulk. If that makes any sense. Um, But like, if you're going through that, I mean, it is not easy. And I, it, I had some dark moments. and I think that's why, Kind of ha- have a better grasp as to what my relationship with God is, is because like He carried me through those dark times. Like it got, it got ugly sometimes. I would just sit in my living room, rest you would be at work, and I would just scream and cry, scream and cry in my living room. And, you know, it's okay, like to be mad at Him, it's okay to be angry, and it's okay to lash out. It's okay. like He. Like we're supposed to take that all to the foot of the cross. And I feel like me doing that got me through it. Um, and I will say to surround yourself with people who don't try to fix this situation. It would be really, really hard for me to be around people who, who wanted to say the right thing or try to fix it or try to, um, make the situation better by belittling the situation, if that makes any sense. You know, I had a lot of people say like, yeah, I had a miscarriage and, you know, it was, you know, back, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we didn't have all the technology we do now. And I'm like, I d- like uh, right now, I-, I love you. I'm not, I'm not wanting to think about your miscarriage. Like I'm in my, let me be in my own emotions right now. Let me deal with this. I don't want to compare. I don't want to one up. I don't like, I, I just need. I need to have my own emotions and go through this without. Yeah, you know, I don't know how to explain it. It just there was a lot of things said that were hurtful. Um, as far as like people comparing situations, and so if I can help anyone that knows anyone going through a situation like that, I would say just listen and be there, and don't try to minimize the hurt. Let people hurt. Let people be sad. Let them grieve, um, because grieving is a part of the process and you're not going to rush it. And then as far as like people who may be going through something similar, I would just say like grasp onto the people who you can be around who, you know, there's just certain people that, that let you grieve the way you want to grieve, be around those people, um, draw nearer to your husband because that is the only person who really knows what you're going through. And I will say you grieve differently, allow your husband to grieve the way he wants to grieve that he needs to grieve because you cannot expect him to grieve the way you are because it's just, that's not how men and women work. Um, so yeah, I mean, and just like, don't lose hope. I mean, that was our kind of our main little, I mean, hope was on everything we did. Um, just don't lose hope. Like even if, doctors are telling you like, okay, no lung buds. Like they're not, he's not going to live outside the womb. Okay. I, I still have hope. Even though I knew, you know, like it might not be God's will. I still had hope. Even when I had to give Slater back, I found hope and like, okay, we're going to be okay. He's, he's safe in the arms of Jesus. Now there is hope in, you know, in our, in our lives, there's hope. And, you know, there's just, I, I would just say, don't
0: lose hope. Thanks for sharing. I know that was probably hard.
1: It's good to do this though. And I will say um, anyone who has lost babies, it's it's so good to talk about them or say their name or be reminded of the emotions that you were going through, because I mean, we get in this like robotic mom mode of, okay, now I have S- 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 Selah and Havana and I got to take care of them. I can't let myself get back to that place. But it, I think it's really good to Be reminded of of what we went through and, you know,
0: bring yourself back there. Right. Well, thanks for sharing your story. Now we are going to talk to your husband, Rusty. Hi, Vanessa. So do you want to talk us through, you know, the pregnancy with Slater and Angel and how that went for you?
2: Yeah. From a a man's perspective and from a husband's perspective, it's always different. You know, we're not the ones that are carrying the child. We're not the ones feeling the kicks. We're not the ones that are having our bodies go through crazy, Um, you know, whether it's emotional, physical. I mean, we don't have to uh, go through those things. So it is, it's quite different. Um, As far as Slater and Angel goes, you know, Natalie had said kind of out of sight, out of mind. And that's kind of what it is. You can hold on to the hope and you always have this, uh, internal kind of thing that you're holding on to, like everything's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. It's real easy for men to kind of do that because we're not the ones feeling the baby move and all that kind of stuff going on. So, um, that kind of, probably shielded me and helped me through uh, all the hard appointments and all the, uh, the difficulties and everything that was going on. Uh, just for the simple fact that, you know, you try to be a man, try to be strong for your wife you try to be there. And, uh, sometimes you kind of put those emotions and uh, the things that you're going through. You just kind of put that, um, you kind of put it into place and you only go there when you need to, and you just kind of be try to be there for your wife. Uh, but once things really started uh, becoming visual, whether it was at the um, you know this going to the specialist uh, every week and seeing the MRIs and getting those discouraging uh, results or uh, going in and you know doing the heart exams, doing the, the MRI, once those images started coming into play and it's like that's your actual son in there and you're just you're looking at it going, wow, you know, I have this hope and I'm praying for them, but never going to be able to hold them, never going to be able to, you know, teach them how to run, teach them how to teach them how to serve, teach them how to be a man. And, you know, just the things that you want to do with your kids. uh, Once those emotions and kind of thoughts start coming into play, it it became very real. Um, And so leading into the delivery uh, you know, once again, you you know, she had talked about packing up the car and, you know, we packed our bags and we, we kind of prepared to go and, and to do this delivery. But you really just don't have a clue until it's it's all said and done. And then, you know, the delivery happens and you're holding your child and it's like, OK, well, this is where we're supposed to learn the baby's behavior and when to feed them and when to love on them. And with us, it was, okay, you spend your time and literally you have to make that decision of, okay, now I have to put them on the cart and I have to wheel them out into the hallway and say, Hey, we're done. You know? And it's like, you don't ever prepare yourself or you really can't prepare yourself. And you don't understand all the little details that come with these situations. Uh, until you face them. And so those are the hard things of instead of going to the room with your child, you're willing them out and they're bringing you documents to fill out a, a death certificate. You know, I mean, it's just, it's kind of the reality of everything gets really, really heavy and you just kind of uh, all those emotions start flooding in. And so um, it was a, it was a long, difficult road. Um, you know, and I think for me, you know, you always try to be there for your wife and you try to support. Um, but when I was, the hardest thing was, uh, so we, we got discharged and everything and we're like, Hey, go get the car, go pull the car around. Y'all are free to go. And you remember walking outside the doors opening up and it's raining outside. It's about 45 degrees. And it was just like, the loneliest I've ever, ever felt in my entire life. I mean, there wasn't a single person in the parking lot. There was nobody around, no family members, no wife, like just lonely. And uh, yeah, just a misery. And I just broke down and I don't really break down all that much, but it was, it was a very, very bad day. And so just pulling the car around and you're not putting in the car seats, you're not, you know, anticipation the next day when are we supposed to feed again hey did you change them did you do that there's no celebration there's no balloons there's no you know every all those joy joyous things that you get when you're taking your child home it was just kind of like we had gone through this whole journey together as a team where it was you know me natalie and slater and we were all together fighting and doing all this and it was just it was definitely like a part of our family was gone because we were we were driving home alone so um yeah it was a di- very very difficult uh circumstance to go through for sure
0: and so when you found out that Natalie was pregnant with Sayla, how were your emotions
2: I'd uh, be really honest with her I, I honestly like I told her I said I don't I was happy um, I guess I'm only really telling this because there may be a gentleman or a husband out there that may hear this and they're not weird for thinking it, but I was very happy. But at the same time, um, I, you know, I told her, I was like, I don't, I, I want, you know, I don't want to replace him. Like I want my son. Uh, so I felt as if this new gift that was giving to us in a certain, in a weird, weird way, I can't explain it. Uh, I was grateful, but I, I felt like hey um I'm not sure I can love this kid the way that I loved slater uh, I know it's very weird to say that and think it, but especially now you know it's, it, it seems just ridiculous, but at the time you yeah I had a I had a hard time coming to grips with a new child coming in that now on to love and to take care and nurture when I was still kind of holding on to the experience with Slater.
1: And little did he know that that baby that he wasn't that excited about was the ultimate daddy's girl.
2: <laughs> yeah, she definitely is.
0: Yeah. So whenever she came out stunned, what was your thought processes? What was going on in your head?
2: I mean, I, I almost, i I've never, <clears throat> almost wanted to pass out before but i i mean i remember just thinking this is a bad dream wake up there's no way we can do this again like we can't like we can't do it uh she was very gray she was limp and i mean five minutes went by 10 minutes went by 12 minutes went by and, i mean just nothing and i'm going we can't like this, you know, my first one of my first things, you know, I just, just from an emotional human standpoint, you know, this is not fair. Like, no way this can happen again. Like, yeah, you know, we're doing everything right. We're praying, we're doing this. We're, you know, we're good people, you know, all these silly things that we think shield shield us from the realities of, of life. But, um, super, super scary. Uh, those first literally 14 minutes and, you know, 40 seconds.
0: For sure. And then with Havana, how, what did you think when Natalie told you she was pregnant with her and the pregnancy and, and her birth, how did all that go for you?
2: Uh, I was very excited with Havana. Um, We've, we have some, we have some friends and you, you hear different we're old enough. Now we've been through different circumstances and have met people who have been through dirt, you know, different circumstances that we've, you, There's a, a great appreciation just for the gift of life in general and everything that the woman goes through and everything they experience. And, uh, so there was a true appreciation and just gratefulness for, it. I mean, it was very, for me, it was just, it was great, great, great experience. Um, for Natalie, not so much. Uh, so that was a little hard on Physically the tail end of it. So uh, I mean, she she really, really struggled. That last, I uh, guess, the third trimester was. I mean, it was it was extremely hard. Um, I don't know how she's she's made it, but um, for me, uh, I thought it was it was great, uh, but true true blessing.
0: Awesome. Well. If you had anything to say to dads or partners that are listening, what would it be?
2: Uh, my advice um, would be to, and I, I don't know if I did a good job of it, but I, I, I doubt I did, just because we're men. But uh, I would say just to definitely be there for your wife with all the. Um, I don't think we realize what their body goes through, what their emotions go through, what their hormones go through, what everything that they they go they literally from nine months they have a complete change and they are growing a human inside of them that they deliver and you know are giving life to literally and that's that's just not something we can really comprehend so i would try to say uh have a little bit more sympathy and try to understanding like uh just helping them and being there for them when they're when they're going through this process, uh, don't take it for, for granted. Like, oh, they're just pregnant. That's just part of life. And that's just what they do. No, I mean, I, I think we need to be a little bit more uh, sympathetic and less callous to just don't don't be don't be guys about it. <laughs> we, 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 we get kind of uh, we get very narrow minded sometimes. So uh, definitely uh, be cautious and mindful of uh, what our our lives are going
0: through. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on The Delivery Diaries. You're welcome.
2: Well, thank you for having us.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Delivery Diaries. If you're loving The Delivery Diaries birth and adoption stories, it would mean so much if you could leave a review on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, head over to At The Delivery Diaries on Instagram and Facebook.